Good morning, Crossbridge family, and welcome to Crossbridge Online. It's so good to be with you this morning. And if you're a guest joining us from wherever you are, I just want to say thank you so much for choosing to be with us this morning. And I want to let you know that my hope for you is the same as my hope and my desire, my prayer for every single person who comes in contact with this Crossbridge family. And that's simply this, that no matter where you find yourself in your faith today, that you'd be able to take one step towards Jesus, because that is what we are all about here at Crossbridge. So again, thank you so much for coming. And, and I'm really excited because you have come on the first week of a brand new series that we're doing called The Grass is Always Greener. And I think it's really cool, and you might not know this yet if you're just joining us, but we're partnering with Grace Church in Logan uh, for this series. So Pastor Dave, the pastor over there, and I have been meeting for years together as friends, as pastors in this area with the same passion for Jesus over <laughs> lots of lunches, chicken wings, tacos, all sorts of great things to really just encourage each other. And the idea came up together uh, really as we sat and wondered in this time of COVID, how can we help each other and how can we encourage our churches? And we came up with the idea of kind of swapping week on, week off. And I am so excited for you, Crossbridge, to be able to spend two weeks with Pastor Dave as he's going to teach next week and close out our series. Because as a man of God, he has encouraged me and constantly kind of kind of pointed me back to Romans, or not Romans, Philippians 4, 8, where uh, the Apostle Paul's writing this letter to a church and he says this, and now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And I am so excited that you get to hear from another pastor locally at another church who continues to point you and me to think about holy, worthy, lovely things revolving around Jesus. So I just can't wait for it. But to kick off this series, I, I wanna start with a story. It's actually a fairy tale, an old Norwegian fairy tale from the late 1840s. So we're talking 170 years old, but what's interesting is we still tell this story today. You may not recognize it right off the bat uh, until we go into it. And you're going to go, oh, I do remember that. But it's a story called The Three Billy Goats Gruff. And Gruff is simply the last name of these billy goats because they, of course, billy goats have to have a last name. So here, if you aren't familiar with it, let me just read you the first couple of sentences so that you know kind of where we're going to go with it. You ready? I don't have pictures for you, so I'm sorry. It's not a good picture book. Once upon a time, there were three billy goats gruff who lived in a valley in the hills. One day they looked across the river to a valley filled with full green grass, and they wanted to go there to make themselves fat. To reach the valley, the three billy goats had to cross the river, and there was only one bridge. Can you feel attention in our story here? Every kid should be leaning in going, what's gonna happen? How do they get across the bridge? What's, what's there? And the story goes on to tell that there's actually a really angry troll, uh, not angry, he's just a hungry troll who lives under the bridge, who eats anyone who crosses the bridge. And they have to kind of come together, these billy goats, to come up with a plan to how to get across the bridge. And it starts by telling the youngest and the littlest of the goats, 
Billy Goat Little, you go across. And when you get stopped, you could tell the troll there's a bigger goat coming behind you. And when the bigger goat gets there, he'll have a better meal. And that's exactly what happens. The first goat comes, the troll's getting ready to eat him. And he says, I'm not a good meal. You want my brother, he's way better. And he goes across. The same thing happens with the middle-sized Billy Goat. Until finally, the big billy goat gruff comes with the big old horns, steps up to the troll. The troll's like, oh, I'm going to eat you. You must be the biggest. He says, I am the biggest. And he's got the big old horns. And he rams the troll. The troll falls into the river, is swept away, and is never seen again. To which it ends like this. The last line of our story is, the big billy goat, goat gruff joined his brothers. They found their field of sweet green grass and ate their fill. I know you're probably wondering right now why in the world I'm telling you an old Norwegian children's story, but hang with me for a minute here because this story is read all over the world to highlight this big billy goat gruff as the hero of the story. And I'm going to tell you, I, I see how we get here, but I've got some major issues with this kid's story right now. I mean, it starts with this. These goats are already currently in a field. They're already fine, and it's not until they look across the river where they're already in their community, they're already taken care of, and they look across and say, well, that field in that valley is greener. I want that. And then they begin to hatch a plan to get rid of a troll who has done nothing to them up to this point. And I'm not going to get into any debate or whether trolls are inherently good or bad. I don't know. But what I do know is that the troll, he just continues to want a bigger goat. He's not satisfied when the little one comes across. He would have been fine. But instead, I'll take what's bigger. I'll wait for what's bigger. And as silly as it is, I wonder how much that we're like these goats and trolls. We're never really satisfied or at peace with what's in front of us. So we begin to compare where we are to what's on the other side of the river. We compare what's in front of us to possibly thinking it could be bigger, it could be better. Um, I'll wait for the bigger, the better. And if we paused long enough to look at the culture that we live in and ask what kind of story is our culture telling and, and what characters would we be, I think that we truly, in our story of our culture, would be the consumeristic Billy Goats and Troll, measuring ourselves against each other, looking to fields, thinking they're greener than where I am. I need to cross the river. Maybe we're working so hard to protect our bridge, but always wanting something bigger and better to come along. Unfortunately, I, I know that this is the life that most people live in our country. Always looking for the bigger, better. Always comparing ourselves to others. But unfortunately, I know that as disciples of Jesus, we do this too. Never finding peace with where we currently are in life. It breaks my heart because I know that this is not Jesus Christ's desire for us. I know that because he told his disciples what his desire for them was, and it was to have peace. In the biography of Jesus written by John, his best friend, in chapter 16, these are the words of Jesus to his disciples. 
He says to them, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus continued to tell his disciples over and over, listen, life is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be trials, going to be sorrow, but, but you can live life differently. When it's hard, you can have peace. And if you look at that passage, where is the peace that Jesus is promising them found? He says, it can only be found in me, in a relationship with me. You'll find peace. And at Crossbridge and at Grace, here's what I want to tell you. We want you to have peace in your life, real peace. And we believe that it only comes from placing your trust in Jesus Christ. So over the next three weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be looking and keep coming back to this idea of how can I find peace and contentment in my life? How can I stop looking at greener grass and saying, I, I, I need that, or a bigger goat saying, I want that? How can we do this? Because the truth is, if we look to the world around us to fulfill our need of peace and to continue to give us what's bigger and better, we will always be left wanting because the world will never satisfy. Jesus says, it's full of trouble, it's full of sorrows, it's full of trials, but in me, you can find peace. And so what we're gonna be doing is, we're gonna be jumping to a couple of different places throughout the stories of Jesus and the biographies of Jesus, but we, and looking at very specific topics over the next three weeks. But for today, I wanna to tell you that we're focusing in on one idea, and it's just the idea of how can we start by finding peace where we are. And for each of our messages for the next four weeks, we will be centering it around a letter that Paul wrote when he was in prison to the church in Philippi. And we're gonna be looking at the letter to the Philippians. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to turn to that letter uh, to the Philippians. If you don't know where it is, feel free to use your table of contents and you'll find it right in there. But what I love about this is we're gonna be looking at the same passage almost every week and jumping to different places with it. And if you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter four, actually from the passage that uh, we started our service with today, that's where we're gonna be camping. Now, what's important for you to know about this letter that's really gonna make a difference is like I said, the Apostle Paul is under house arrest in Rome, which is approximately like a 30 days journey from the church in Philippi. And Philippi is the first church that Paul planted in Europe. And he's really excited about it. The church gave him no issues. They really encouraged him. And he made it a point on any journey that he went, especially his second and third journey, he would end up in Philippi somehow all the time because he just loved this church. This letter that he's writing now from Rome to them is actually a thank you letter. It's a thank you note. Now, it's a lot longer than the thank you notes that you and I might write, but he is uh, in this place where the church found out he's under house arrest, they realize he can't work, he can't do what he needs to do, um, he's probably hurting, so they take this very special offering and collection for him. They give it to this guy to bring to him, to stay with him and, you know, encourage him and this bag of money to use. And now what Paul is doing is saying, I'm sending you back the guy 
and a note, I'm keeping the money. You know, like, so he, he's in this place where the theme of this is all about Thanksgiving and his appreciation for them. But what's really great is in chapter two, there's this beautiful poem about Jesus Christ. And he's reminding this church, and the whole letter is built around this poem. It's, it's fantastic. Go read it later but how Jesus really needs to be the center of their lives and they wanna look like him and be like him. And it's just amazing. But at the end of this letter, as he closes it out in chapter four, this is how he ends his really long thank you note to this church that he loves so much. And so let, let's look at this together if you will. We're gonna start in chapter four, we'll look at verse one. Therefore. My dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Can you feel the love of this? He's like, you guys are the best and I miss you. My brothers and sisters, I love you. I, I, I'm, I'm coming back at some point. And then he says this starting in verse two. Now I appeal to you, Eudia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. I, I want to stop here really quick because it's interesting that he says like, I love you so much, you're so awesome, you're like my crown. Ladies, quit it, right? How could you jump in that transition? And like, why is he addressing two people so specifically here? And what's really important for us to know is he knows the people's names in this church, right? This isn't just a random church he's writing to. He loves these people. And the fact that he knows what's going on is unbelievable. He knows that there are two women in the church who are not getting along. There's some sort of disagreement and he wants them to squash this beef for one purpose and that is to get back to telling others about Jesus. That's, that's his goal here is like, you gotta fix this so that we can get back to the message of the good news. I don't know exactly what this is over, but what it does remind me of is that there are just as many disagreements and issues inside the church as outside the church. And peace needs to be found in both places. And Paul here isn't just saying, I need you to get along and deal with each other. You're in the same church family. So if you're gonna to be together, you better just learn to put up with each other. These two women are not at peace and the church isn't at peace. And Paul, who's a month's journey away, isn't at peace. And his next instructions that he's about to give, well, those two verses in there are like, why are they there? They're there to set up how can you deal with this disagreement that you're having? How can you come back together to focus around Jesus, to get back to telling others about the good news? What am I supposed to do to find peace right now? Because from a month away, it's hurting me. What do I do? And let's look at the next set of verses through the lens of how can we find peace? Are you ready for this? I love this. I'm going to get real excited just so you know. Here we go. We're going to kick it off in verse four. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, 
Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise and keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Amen. I told you this is great, isn't it? This is so good. And, and if you are one who likes to memorize verses, I would highly encourage you, put this at the top of your list. You're gonna want this one for your tool belt at all times. Uh, when I read this, I will tell you that I have spent hours upon hours upon hours studying this and seeing how every word that Paul uses hangs on the one before it and leads into ones that are three or four down the road. And I would love to spend hours and hours with you to go through this, but we just can't together right now. So what I want to do is, is give you a flyover and just pull a couple of things out so that what we can do is walk into what three steps can we practically take today to find peace now, to find peace. So we're going to skim through it. And I want you to remember, we are the Billy Goats and Troll, right? We're comparing, we're disagreeing, we're living an all-around pretty unsettled life. So how can we find this peace? And Paul's encouragement to the church starts with rejoicing, and then he says something that doesn't really look like it fits. If you look at it, he says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Now, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. You might be reading out of the NIV or a different translation, and most of those translations are probably going to say either be considerate in all you do or let your gentleness be evident to all. Both of those words, your gentleness or consideration, both of those words are pulled from the same Greek word, and they could both be uh, applied to this passage. So both translations are really, really good here. But what Paul says is that these two things should be apparent and evident to everyone around us. How these two ladies handle their conflict in the church should look different than how conflict and issues are handled outside the church. But if we want this to happen and how we find peace, it's going to take a little bit of work on our side to find the peace in the disagreement. It's going to take intentionality. So what I would love for you to do is just to skip over verse six for a second and let's jump into verse seven. And in verse seven, it says this, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. There it is, did you see it? Peace, God's peace. Then you will experience God's peace, which is greater than anything that any of us could understand, and it will guard our hearts and our minds. Come on, who doesn't want this? Right, just throw in there, I want peace. In the comments, I want peace. Give me the amen hands, I know it's in there. We want this, don't we? I want a peace that surpasses all understanding to deal with these disagreements and these issues. I want this, but if I want this, 
I need to be intentional about how verse 7 ends because it sets up verse 6. Verse 7 ends with the peace that comes when we, if you look at this, it comes when we live in Christ. Paul knows there is no peace around us outside of a relationship, outside of a life that is dedicated to and following Jesus Christ. This is not going to be easy, but there is no other way to find peace because it's when our eyes begin to stray from our Savior that we begin to feel unsettled and discontent. This is going to dictate how we handle and deal with our disagreements. People will see a different type of life and we will have to be considering how other people view us and using gentleness to point each other back and to point ourselves back to keeping Jesus at the center. How we handle the billy goat troll tension of comparing our valleys and waiting for bigger things, it really does matter. How we do this matters. And if our gentleness and our consideration are not evident to the world around us, I would like to suggest this morning that we are not living in Jesus and through the peace that surpasses all understanding. I know that might sound harsh, but I feel like it's important to say that that these two qualities are directly tied to a relationship with Jesus, that it should look different. And that is why verse 6 is so important to this passage where he says, don't worry. Your translation may say, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, or but instead pray, right? Prayer is this call, and finding peace for us, the intentionality of bringing Jesus back to the center, always begins with prayer. Finding peace starts with prayer, but then God tells them, What do you pray about? Tell God everything that you need. Tell God everything that you need. Note it doesn't say, tell God everything that you want. I see a greener field. Yeah, I uh, remember when I was a kid, I was looking through a Toys R Us magazine back when Toys R Us existed, if it doesn't anymore. Um, But I remember looking through Toys R Us magazine And it's funny, I can remember the kitchen that I was in and the house that I was in, the trim along the wall. I remember my dad sitting to my left, my older brother to my right, my mom at the stove on this glass table. Um, I just remember white like legs to it. And I'm flipping through this magazine and there was a moment when I saw it, I I saw it. It stopped me, the whole world stopped in that moment. It was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. A Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle skateboard. And not not just any Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle skateboard, but oh, it was beautiful. It It had grip tape that was all green. It had the rail guards that were green. The wheels and the trucks were green. And what really made it 
everything was, all four Ninja Turtles were on the bottom, but the center, it wasn't, you know, a waste of time. I get nothing done, Michelangelo, or I'm too bossy, Leonardo, and no one remembers I'm a turtle, Donatello. It was my favorite Raphael. He was the center, and I was like, he never gets, <gasps> and I looked up, and with the most assurance I had ever had in my young life, I said, I need this. I need this skateboard. And I, I remember my dad to my left looking at me, and he's a very practical man. And he, he said, uh, what do you need this for? I need this for skating, dad to impress my friends because Raphael's in the middle. They're never going to make this again. This is the only time. And my dad then asked me two questions that burst my need bubble and have continued to cement that memory and reframe how I look at many things in my life. And I never knew it would come over a skateboard. But the first question he asked me was, Jimmy, do you even know how to skate yet? Which, to be honest with you, the answer was no, I, I didn't. I knew my brother did, and I wanted to, and I would compare myself to him and his friends, and they were cool, so I, I was going to learn. What better way to learn on a, on a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle skateboard? And when I said no, he said, oh, okay, well, is this something that you need or something that you really want? And as I paused, I don't remember how old, but at that moment, I understood that there was a difference between desire of what I really want and necessity versus what I really need. I probably could have tried to figure out a way to say it's necessity, but I knew it was desire. I thought I needed it to fit in, to impress my friends, needed it to bring value, to make myself more important because I had this. I didn't need it. I wanted it. Paul tells us that when we approach God, we should ask God for everything that we what? That we need and then thank him for everything that he's done. Too often I think we go to God with our lists of wants, but we present them as needs to him. We look around at all these other green grass valleys and tell God, I, I need one of those. I need a family like they have. I need a job that pays double what I've got right now because my expenses aren't meeting what I need. I need that new PS5 or Xbox Series X. I need a better gaming computer, a nicer car. I need that A on my assignment. I need you fill in your need. Is it a need? The problem is we haven't really stopped to say thank you, God, for the relationships that are in my life right now that point me to you and remind me how valuable I am as a person. Thank you, God, for the opportunity that I have to actually work when so many are without jobs around me. Thank you for the time that I get to rest and to recharge. Thank you for reliable, hopefully reliable transportation that I can get to where I need to go or want to go. Thank you for, in our list of thanksgiving, for what God has done is so long and so wide. And Paul's writing them to this church and he's saying, listen, I need you to remember that no matter where life has you right now, you can find peace through a life lived 
in Jesus Christ through prayer and thanksgiving. He doesn't make it complicated. And for these two women, he's like, listen, I need you just to stop for a second. Stop for a second. Slow down. Spend some time remembering what God has done through you both. Do you remember the good news that you spread? Do you remember how you got along? I always wanted to come see you because it was so encouraging. Remember what God has done. Does that mean that, that all of a sudden everything is going to work out the way that we want if we continue to start with prayer and thanksgiving? Jesus absolutely said no. Right? He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be difficult. There will be sorrows. But I have come so that you would have peace regardless of the circumstances that are around you. They will always change, but I will not. Your peace cannot ride on if a market is high or a market is low. If you aced that test or you bombed that test, your circumstances and situations will change but I will not. I am a foundation you can build your life on. And so the question that I need to ask our churches now is simply, where are you looking to find your peace today? Are you looking across the bridge for a greener grass so that you can get fat and say, but it's so good for me? Are you looking for peace in that next big paycheck or bonus? Are, are you looking to that next boyfriend, that next girlfriend, that next party, that next experience, that next good grade, maybe that next child to say that's when we'll find peace and be full? Or are you centering around Jesus Christ, the Messiah, keeping your eyes on him? Over the next three weeks, we are going to get specific with some of these areas because we really do believe that there's some areas we compare a lot more than others. But today, I, I want you to just find peace or at least begin to step into that journey to not live a life of comparison because when we do this, it really only leads to two places and neither of them are peace. It leads to jealousy or it leads to pride. We either look at everything someone else has and we say, well, I'm glad mine is better or I wish that I had that. Neither of those lead us to a place of peace that Jesus promises. And I can't think of any moment in my life where comparison, if I'm really being honest with myself, has left me in a peaceful state. And please hear me on this really quick. It gets, we compare good and bad, don't we? When things are really good, it's like, oh, well, well, mine's better than this. But do you ever hang around with that person that you just had a really garbage day? And you're like, man, my day was tough. And they're like, yeah, you think your day was tough? Let me tell you how tough my day was. Like, oh, I wasn't comparing. I thought we were just hanging out. But we can compare how great things are or compare how horrible things are. Neither of those leave us in a place of peace. So I want to leave you with these three steps that you can take today to begin to find peace based on this passage. And your first step is simply this. Go look at verse 6. Start with prayer. Start with prayer. When you begin to feel 
this draw to comparing, this dissatisfaction, this non-peaceful life, we should begin to start with prayer. And I love that both of our churches are coming off series on prayer. Um, dangerous prayers and 40 days of prayer. Crossbridge and Grace, we've been talking about prayer for a month and a half. You've got enough resources to work off of to figure out how do we do this. Step into starting with prayer and whatever the situation is, I need you to put it before God before you put it before Facebook, okay? You need to put it before God and ask him to walk with you in these situations. This is our first and our primary step is to start in prayer, looking at God. And the second thing, the second step is right there in verse six. Make a thanksgiving list. Do not worry about anything. Do not be anxious in anything, but in everything with prayer and, what's that word? It's thanksgiving. Present your requests or your needs to God. And the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind, right? There is a level of thanksgiving. Sometimes I think we just forget how much God has done for us that every single breath we have is his, that he's given us. Every one of them is a gift of life. When we wake up, that's not guaranteed. That's a gift when we sleep and we rest. These are gifts. When we get to go to work, this is a gift. When we begin to pause and thank God for all that he has done, it really starts to shift on how we compare, on how we contrast to the people that are around us. And we begin to say, oh God, you've been so good to me. You have given me so much more than I probably need. You've given me things that I've just wanted or desired in your grace and in your goodness. <sighs> A lot of my list of thanksgiving has to do with how much grace and forgiveness he has shown me. When I get frustrated at people and I want to compare myself to how bad they are and I can't believe they do this, all of a sudden I stop and I start to list the things that I do wrong and realize how big God's grace is and his love is for me and I can stop and go, whoa, that's so good. So we start with prayer. We make a thanksgiving list. And the last thing that I want you to do is to aim for connection, not comparison. Aim for connection and not comparison. You know, Paul wants these ladies to be gentle, to be filled with consideration. And before we go and we judge, before we compare, uh, we need to consider the relationships that we have with people. We need to be aiming to maintain these relationships, encourage these relationships, build the connection. So the, the number one place that you're gonna find this issue, I think right now, is the beginning of your scrolling to the bottomless pit of Facebook and Instagram. The, the place where it never ends in comparison, where people put the most beautiful pictures in front of you, not just an Instagram picture that this happened in an instant, but this was highly manicured, edited, and filtered to make sure it looks like things are all together where behind the scenes it's not. And instead of looking at it and saying, I can't believe that that person can take that vacation with their family again, that's unbelievable. You stop and say, oh, thank God for this friendship. I hope and I pray. And you send them that message that you find rest, 
instead of looking at that, that stay-at-home parent who's got it all together, and it's like, wow, they even make their own baby food with 16 kids in their house? How do they do that? And, and they look beautiful doing it. They don't. They're a hot mess behind that camera, let me tell you. But instead of sitting there and comparing, contrasting, and throwing shade at them and comparing your life to them, what if you built the connection? Hey, I see what you're doing. I'm looking to build some margin into my schedule, and, and how, how, how do you find ways to do that? And instead of assuming things about people, we build connections. We have to aim for connection before we move into comparison. God has called us to work together with gentleness. That's evident to all. How can we be thankful for the people around us instead of comparing ourselves to the people around us? I truly believe it comes down to the very words of Jesus. If you want peace in life, when all of chaos is around you, that peace is only found in me. That's why I've come, is so that you would have peace while chaos is happening. Crossbridge, Grace Church, I am so thankful we get to do this together. I'm thankful that we walked through this and that we don't have to be two churches comparing our churches to what you do, what we do, how we do. This is about Jesus together. And I want to bless you as we leave with a blessing from the guy who wrote Philippians, the Apostle Paul, to the church in Rome. In chapter 15, he simply says this, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, go in hope to find peace through Jesus Christ. We'll see you next week. <laughs>